Rabbi, everybody, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. So happy to have you here, and uh, thank you very much indeed for being part of the show. Uh, let's dive right in with a love story, shall we? Uh, we're going back a few years, not that long. Uh, we're going back just five or six years, when a young 28-year-old guy called Mark Malasek uh, met a beautiful young 26-year-old um, girl. Uh, he, he, he was 28, I think she was 26. Uh, that was about it. And um, she had uh, trained as a nurse, but they fell in love. And Mark and Amber got married uh, in uh, near Key West in Florida. They made it a beautiful destination wedding. Friends and relatives all went down to the Keys, and, um, and Amber and Mark Malasek um, got married and became a happy couple. And um, three years later, um, they, the, the couple is blessed with a little boy. And uh, now the happy family is doing fine. Um, Amber had been working um, as a nurse, but when the baby arrived, she uh, decided to uh, stay home a bit and be with him for a while, or even in, in the time leading up to it. And um, uh, Mark um, started a little business working in leather, um, making leather badges and, you know, he, he, an artisan, a craftsman, uh, good at what he does. And Mark and Amber uh, are building their lives around their marriage, uh, their son, and uh, their business. And um, everything is great. And if I uh, was able to provide full musical accompaniment for this show, which we can. It's, it's just that um, I want to get this out to you. I don't want to spend a, a, too much time in, in uh, post-production work. Uh, <coughs> so we're just going to get this out to you without the music. But if we did have a musical accompaniment now, I think we'd probably go for some sinister-sounding organ tones. The swelling sound of sinister organ tones you would receive the unmistakable impression that a serpent, serpent, was about to enter this little Garden of Eden. Well, what happens is that um, uh, Amber Malasek decides to go back to work. And she goes back uh, to work um, at a hospital in North Carolina. And uh, and that's kind of important. Um, in Winston-Salem, actually, is where it was, in North Carolina. And uh, the name of the hospital, Wake Forest Baptist Health Hospital in Winston-Salem. Um, Wake Forest. Why, why am I telling you those details? Just because I just want you to know this is a true story. This is not just a Rabbi Daniel Lappin fairy tale. This, this is real. And so... Uh, um, so there, we, by this time, um, uh, Mark is uh, 34, uh, Amber, his wife, is about 32, the baby's uh, a year or two old, 
and uh, Amber decides to go back to work. She gets a job at Wake Forest Baptist Health Hospital in Winston-Salem. There, at that hospital, is a pediatric cardiologist. That is not just a doctor who specialized in the heart in cardiology, but he is specialized in children's heart issues. So it's a pretty advanced uh, degree. He's, a, he's, he's obviously a, um, a highly educated specialist, and uh, uh, and he is he's forty five. So just again, the the ages are kind of interesting. So he's forty five. Uh, the nurse who's assigned to him, Amber, is about thirty two, so about twelve or thirteen years younger than him. And uh, Amber's husband is about a year older than her, about ten or eleven years. Uh, younger than Dr. Derek Williams. And it doesn't take long before Mark starts getting worried because he notices, uh, like, Amber gets all dolled up before she goes to work. Now, look, being a nurse in a hospital is a tough, grueling, and often messy business. Uh, and nurses that I have known generally pretty themselves up when they come home or when they go out not to work. But you don't really, I mean, you, you dress as, um, as in, in a utilitarian way, really, if, if you're a nurse, it's kind of what you want to do. But uh, Mark got a little concerned because um, that's what uh, Amber was doing. And... Um, and one thing led to another. Mark, you know, once once that uh, that that disturbing little contrail of suspicion enters the husband's mind, um, it's a real problem. It's a real, real problem because exclusivity within marriage is so crucial, and uh, more so. And I, I I've spoken about this in the past. Uh, if you react with indignation at what I'm about to say, it just means you haven't listened to enough back shows of the Rabbi Daniel Appen show where I discuss this and, uh, and, and go into it in sufficient depth to provide the background. But for now, all I'm just going to remind you of is that exclusivity is far, far, far more important to the husband than it is to the wife. In other words, if the wife betrays the marriage, um, it's very, very difficult for that to be repaired and restored. And indeed, it's even a question mark whether it ought to be. It's the, the damage is is so crucial and so fundamental. However, if it is the uh, the man who has strayed, uh, it is repairable. And uh, this is based not only on uh, many years of, of, of counseling and advising couples, in, including couples in extremely unpleasant and unenviable uh, situations such as these I'm discussing, uh, but also in the, the, the fundamental uh, timeless truths of ancient Jewish wisdom. At any rate, suffice it to say that um, uh, a, even just a, a, a little smoky tendril of suspicion on the part of the man, needs to be resolved. And the truth is no man uh, can or perhaps even should 
you know, brush it away and say, oh, I'm not going to worry about that. She's, uh, she's her own person and I'm sure she's, everything's fine. No, uh, Mark was a little bit concerned. And uh, I don't know whether he looked at her phone or whether uh, it, texts came through at a, at a bad time. But whatever it was, he started noticing that there were texts coming in that she didn't want him to see. Usually up till then, there'd be no secret. You know, she'd say, honey, um, you know, uh, just answer that text to my friend. Or, you know, they, they, they used each other's phones freely. But all of a sudden, her phone was like completely off limits. And if he ever reached for it, she'd snap and, and grab it. Anyway, one thing. Uh, added to another, and Mark got extremely concerned. Anyway, it didn't take long before Mark finally found out what was going on, and that is that um, Amber uh, was deeply involved in a sexual affair with Dr. Derek Williams, 12 years her senior, and uh, her boss at the hospital. Uh, Dr. Derek Williams, also married, by the way. And um, this uh, was a... I mean, Mark did what I, I think was pretty much uh, the only thing to do, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> he, didn't, he didn't consult me, and uh, I was not involved. But I'll tell you what he did as soon as we come back. Uh, meanwhile, our website, rabbidaniellappin.com, where a uh, specially priced resource for you is called Let Me Go. Uh, it's a one-hour audio CD program for uh, getting out of situations that are just obstructing you and uh, impeding your progress in life. It's called Let Me Go, and you can download it for a pittance over at rabbidaniellappin.com. Quick break, back with you in just a moment. Welcome back, everybody. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where your rabbi reveals how the world really works. And uh, sure enough, male-female relationships are at the root of how the world really works. And wrapped up in all of that is how money works. And lest anybody thinks that money is money, and romance is romance, and never the twain shall meet, you're plainly wrong about that. That's not how the world really works. The money is a very important part of it, and that's why uh, what I'm talking about in this show is a little bit of a preview into my next book that I'm hoping to finish very soon, and it is the interface between romance and money. And we're going to see that as the, the sad story of Mark and Amber Malasek and the snake in the garden, Dr. Derek Williams, uh, continues to unfold before our worried eyes. Well, I said I would tell you what uh, Mark Malasek did. Um, I think Mark realized that um, he had to cut his losses, that, um, that there was no going back, there was no restoring this marriage. And uh, I think he was right in that decision. And he said, um, no, not only is he uh, divorcing Amber, but he then immediately sued Dr. Derek Williams. Now, Dr. Derek Williams uh, makes a huge amount of money. You want to know how much? 
about half a million dollars a year. Um, Mark Malasek, um, uh, 11 years younger, and a leather worker by trade, what do you think he makes a year? A tenth of that? A ninth of that? Yeah? Maybe? You know? Um, maybe Mark makes 60000 a year? Maybe? And um, nine times that, 540000 Probably very close to uh, the, the area that Dr. Uh, Derek Williams makes? Yeah. Okay. So... Um, so uh, Mark divorces Amber and then proceeds to sue Dr. Derek Williams for what? Uh, two common law causes of action. Right? In law, uh, there are two causes of action for, for civil uh, suing. One of them is called alienation of affection. And the other one is called criminal conversation. Criminal conversation is just another phrase meaning uh, physical sexual relations. And alienation of affection is um, more of a process of seduction. Both of those things. And um, these uh, two laws allow people to sue the lovers of their unfaithful husbands or wives. Okay? Well... Um, let me just jump from this, if I can. Let me just jump from that uh, to another story. Um, wait, um, no, best sequence of how I should tell you. No, let me first of all tell you uh, which states have this. It used to be, I'm pretty sure, all states. Certainly all the older states, the East Coast, the East Coast states. But... Um, uh, in more modern times, most states have dropped that. It doesn't exist. And they're allowed now in, I believe, seven states, maybe six, I think seven. Uh, the seven states are Hawaii, Mississippi, New Mexico, South Dakota, Utah, North Carolina, and I think Illinois as well. So uh, the states, again, are Hawaii, Mississippi, New Mexico, North Carolina, South Dakota, and Utah, as well as Illinois. Those are the only states left where a spouse, husband or wife, can sue somebody who had an affair with their spouse. And they would sue under, um, under criminal conversation and alienation of affection. Now, before you start laughing at, at this idea... Please don't, because round about the same time, just a few years, uh, three years before Mark Malasek sued Dr. Derek Williams, um, there was a, a wealthy uh, businessman um, by the name of, um, uh, I'm not sure how to, how to pronounce his name, uh, Donald Puryear, P-U-R-Y-E-R. -E per, I, I don't know the, I don't know the pronunciation. I don't know the name, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure I've bungled it, and I'm sorry. But at any rate, um, Donald had a mistress by the name of Betty, Betty Devon, as it happens, and um, Donald's wife Carol 
sued not her husband she sued Betty and you know how much she won ten million dollars now Betty doesn't have ten million dollars but Betty is now married to her former paramour Donald who used to be Carol's husband and Carol came to court and said uh, Betty destroyed my life I was married to a, uh, a wealthy man we'd been married for 15 years we had a family we had a life everything was wonderful Betty involved him in uh, alienation of affection and criminal conversation and uh, he uh, he left me divorced me and married her so uh, the judge uh, um, Carol actually sued for 30 million the judge awarded this is North Carolina the judge awarded Carol 10 million against Betty and so for the next 20 years at least any time that Betty has any money Carol can go after it okay so obviously I'm asking you to start thinking uh, about how you feel about this law now you know that this show, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, is not about what you feel. It's what you think. But it's interesting because for many people, I suspect feelings and thoughts are going to be in conflict in this particular story. At any rate, um, uh, um, Mark Malasek sues uh, the guy who had an affair with his wife, Derek Williams, and uh, sues him for quite a bit of money. And um, the um, the court now this 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 gets interesting because I've actually I've actually got the court ruling in front of me, so I don't want to start reading it, but um, but I, I will tell you exactly what it says. So uh, Mark sues Dr. Derek, and uh, in court, uh, Dr. Derek Williams argues, interestingly enough, that these laws, alienation of affection and criminal conversation that, that, that allow a spouse to sue the lover of their spouse, um, these laws argued the defendant, Dr. Derek Williams, are... Um, on the face of it, they're unconstitutional because they violate an individual's First and Fourteenth Amendment rights to engage in intimate sexual activity, speech, and expression with other consenting adults. He also went on, through his lawyers, he also went on to argue that the laws should be dismissed as they have been in most other states, because they date back to a time when a woman was just the property of her husband and now his his property namely his wife has been alienated as if she's um, as if she has no will in the matter and and this other person who was uh, who seduced her is um, uh, is is criminally liable excuse me civilly liable um well that I, I thought was a nonsensical, and I'm sure you see it right away, that's a nonsensical argument because, as I told you, in the case of uh, uh, Carol and Donald, who used to be married, um, it was Carol who sued, and she sued another woman who seduced her husband away from her. 
So the idea that this is a law that is insulting to women, it's complete nonsense. Uh, that and, and rightly so, the, the court didn't go for that. But the court did go for this silly idea that um, the, the law under which Dr. Derek Williams was being sued was unconstitutional because it limits Dr. Derek Williams from having an affair with whoever he chooses. In this case, Amber Malasek, whose husband is Mark. Uh, and unfortunately, the court agreed with him. And he asked for the case to be discharged, which it was. But folks, that's not the end of the story. It gets a whole lot better and better, I mean, in a, in a very positive sense. So I'll tell you what happens next, just as soon as we get back. The website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Uh, please head over to the store. And uh, I would like to think that no matter what area you are looking to improve in your life, where I call them the four F areas, the four F words that are crucially important to all of our lives, family, friendships, faith, and finance, family, faith, friendship, and finance. And uh, regardless of which of those areas you are looking to fix in your life, uh, we have resources at rabbidaniellappin.com specifically for those. As, as I think you know already, you won't find me making available to you resources on a lot of theoretical information. You won't find me making resources available on a whole lot of theological information, all of things that may be interesting in an academic sort of way, but they do not dramatically impact your life. Areas of family, friends, faith, and finance, those things really impact your life. Uh, you know, let me, be, let me put it bluntly. Uh, if your relationships are great with your family, and you've got terrific friends, and you're in good with God, and your finances are such that you don't have to worry, don't you think you'd be feeling pretty good? Don't you think you'd be having a lot to be grateful for? Don't you think you'd have two bald spots in the carpet next to your bed where your knees go every night when you say your prayers of gratitude? Right? Those are the four areas. They're phenomenal. Now, some people say, what about health? And the answer to that is that uh, much of health is linked to stress in those areas. Now, there are other matters as well, and those are acts of God. You know, you, things happen. But, uh, but one's health is enormously impacted by having strong social and family relationships, by having no financial stress, and by having a spiritual connection with the Almighty. So uh, that's why our material focuses on that, and that's why I feel fairly confident in saying that I would uh, be grateful if you visited our website, go to the store, and find something. If there's something there that brings value to you, that's wonderful because your purchasing of it brings value to me. It is an exchange of uh, great value that improves the net worth of both you and me. Uh, that is at rabbidaniellappin.com. So what happens after uh, Mark's lawsuit against Dr. Derek Williams gets Welcome tossed back out? Welcome back, everybody, where I, your rabbi, that's me, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, Reveal how the world really works, not just for your entertainment, not just for your edification, but for bringing real value into your life, enhancing the quality of your life by 
improving areas of faith, family, friendships, and finance. That's what we do. And uh, here in the story, we have a, a curious interaction of romance and money, something that uh, I'm working on very hard at the moment in a book, things I've lectured and spoken on extensively and broadcast on over the years. So uh, back to the uh, the case. So the, uh, the court throws out um, Mark uh, Malasek's lawsuit against Dr. Derek Williams because Dr. Derek Williams says that it's unconstitutional. The, the very laws uh, by which um, Mark sued his wife's lover, uh, alienation of affection and criminal conversation, uh, are unconstitutional because they restrict um, a person's ability to have sex with another consenting adult. And that's unconstitutional, he argues. And you may remember the case of Lawrence in Texas a few years back. What happened there was that um, there was a law prohibiting homosexual relationships, and the court um, ruled that unconstitutional, and uh, it, was, it was a big, big, big national argument and debate at the time. But um, uh, Dr. Derek Williams tried to say the same thing, just as the court threw out the, uh, the homosexual law saying that it doesn't have the right to restrict two people, two consenting adults from having a relationship. It also shouldn't um, restrict me from having a relationship with Amber. Uh, we both are consenting adults. It's nobody else's business. So on the surface of it, unfortunately, amazingly enough, the court um, bought that and tosses out Mark Malasek's case against the doctor who had an affair with his wife. So immediately, within about a week, good for him, Mark uh, files a lawsuit with the Court of Appeals in North Carolina. And, um, and it's with the Court of Appeals that he then uh, lays out the whole thing. The Court of Appeals now has to go back and look at the whole story. And, um, and, and they, 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 they write some really very interesting things. Um, they say, first of all, um, mm, 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 um, they say, okay, the alienation of affections uh, law is um, made up of wrongful acts which deprive a married person of the affections of his or her spouse. That includes love, society, companionship, comfort of the other spouse. <clears throat> and to prevail on an alienation of affection claim, the plaintiff, meaning in this case uh, Mark Malasek, must prove, one, that the spouses were happily married and genuine love and affection existed between them. Number two, this love and affection was alienated and destroyed and number three, the defendant, namely Dr. Derek Williams, caused the destruction of that marital harmony and love and affection. All of that, uh, Mark Malasek had no trouble proving. The court goes on in this very well-written opinion, in my opinion, um, says, now the claim for criminal conversation uh, against a defendant, it depends on the defendant engaging in sexual relations with a married person. That's what criminal conversation means. 
the elements of the tort are the actual marriage between the spouses and sexual intercourse between the defendant and the plaintiff's spouse uh, during the time under discussion. And uh, sure enough, that also was proved. So um, the, the appeals court then says, look, I'm sorry, or we're sorry, say the judges, and they all agreed, the whole appeals court agrees, we're sorry, but the, uh, there is zero similarity between uh, the laws of criminal conversation and alienation of affection and the laws against homosexuality in Texas of a few years ago, because there there was absolutely no basis other than a religious or moral basis to exclude, uh, to prohibit homosexual affairs. And by the way, I, your rabbi, me, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, I agree with that. I don't think there is any argument outside of the religious to prohibit homosexual marriage or relations. It's a religious argument. If religious arguments aren't important to you, then, you know, good luck. That's the end of it. Uh, and that's what the appeals court in North Carolina says. They say, however, uh, however, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to the institution of marriage for which these two laws were created to protect, you see, uh, that is completely different. Here's what the court says. The institution of marriage seems an obvious choice. Marriage is, after all, perhaps the most important institution in human history. The centrality of marriage to the human condition makes it unsurprising that the institution has existed for millennia and across civilizations. Um, it, uh, its dynamic allows two people to find a life that they could not be found alone. For a marriage becomes greater than just the two persons. Rising from the most basic human needs, marriage is essential to our most profound hopes and aspirations. Importantly, marriage is a commitment. I'm reading from the uh, ruling decision by the North Carolina Court of Appeals. Among the most central vows in marriage is the promise of fidelity. In most marriages, this means a promise of monogamy, an agreement to share romantic intimacy and sexual relations only with one spouse. Of course, not every marriage carries this commitment, but for those that do, society expects married couples to honor it. If they do not, injury results, personal injury to the still faithful spouse, but also societal injury, because a broken marriage can mean the loss of all the benefits that a healthy marriage brings to society. Simply put, said the court, the state has a legitimate interest, indeed a substantial interest, in protecting the institution of marriage, ensuring that married couples honor their vows and deterring conduct, conduct that would cause injury to one of the spouses. So, um, so this really interesting ruling, um, by the way, it's uh, the Court of Appeals of North Carolina. Uh, it's Court of Appeals case 16-830, filed September the 5th, 2017. So it's, it's, it's fairly recent. And it's uh, Mark Malasek is the plaintiff versus Derek Williams, the defendant. And uh, you'll remember Derek Williams uh, in the in the previous trial succeeded in having uh, Mark Malasek's lawsuit thrown out uh, because he claimed there was the, he had a constitutional right to have sex with whomever he chose as long as that other person consented. And... Um, the Court of Appeals rightly says, sorry, Bubala, but uh, the Constitution 
uh, allows you to associate with other people. And you could have certainly worked with her and you could have conversed with her. But as soon as you moved to seduce and, and have sex with her, that's not constitutionally protected in any way at all. And so... Um, uh, and so the conclusion is a very simple one-sentence conclusion after 15 pages of very nicely reasoned argument. Quote, for the reasons explained above, we reverse the trial court's order and remand this case for further proceedings, reversed and remanded, and all the judges concur. And that's the, the end of the story, excepting that, of course, it does mean now that Derek Williams does have to pay, um, or, or, or I guess... Maybe maybe I, I shouldn't say that because I'm not absolutely sure exactly how that happens now, what, uh, what takes place. But uh, at any rate, Derek Williams' attempt to have it tossed out goes away and, uh, and uh, Mark Malasek's lawsuit continues to stand against the judge. Okay, look, this is a very interesting story. Uh, I am sure that as time goes by, more more states will get rid of this law. So now I think there are eight. Uh, there'll probably be fewer and fewer. And, uh, you know, how do we feel about that? What do we think about it might be a better way uh, to put it. Um, the, the court makes the case, the appeals court makes the case that society really derives value when people are married. There's no question about that. In the past, in shows early, and you can go back on SoundCloud and find them, uh, I spoke extensively about one of the great 20th century um, social anthropologists by the name of Unwin, U-N-W-I-N, Joseph Daniel Unwin. And, uh, and he proves how vital marriage is for the emergence of civilization. What does civilization actually mean? Uh, let me explain coming right back and uh, we'll be able to see exactly what the outcome and what the results are of this conversation. Um, RabbiDanielLappin.com is my website, RabbiDanielLappin.com. There's a whole bunch of stuff. You can read back issues of Thought Tools. You can read back issues of Susan's Musings. You can read back issues of Ask the Rabbi. And uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff on the website. It's also a good place to communicate with me, and I, I love receiving communications from you. All of that at RabbiDanielLappin.com. I would also recommend that uh, if you find yourself uh, obstructed, as if you just, you, you kind of know what you should be doing, you kind of know where you should be getting, but you just can't get there, then take a look at a, um, a beautiful resource that's on very special sale now called Let Me Go. Um, and I've, I've discussed it before, but rather than me taking valuable time now to tell you about it, why don't we just have an agreement that I won't take time telling you about it. You'll go to the website and look up the uh, Let Me Go, and you can read the description. If it sounds as if it's something that uh, can answer a predicament or, or any puzzling paradox you're facing in your life right now, go ahead and order it. It will do that, and uh, I have no doubt about it. And I will be delighted to have a uh, financial and economic relationship with one new person. So that, that would be great. RabbiDanielLappin.com is the website. Hi, that everybody. Welcome back to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. And um, uh, 
why does the uh, Court of Appeals of North Carolina say that society has a valid interest, an important substantive interest, in helping marriages endure and survive? And, and the reason is because they're vital for civilization. Uh, I think everybody knows by now the, uh, the facts, sometimes very disturbing facts, but the true facts, that uh, men married to women do not engage in violence. Men married to women are more economically productive, hugely more economically productive than single men. And uh, all of that is good for society. There's a whole lot more. Uh, when children are born into illegitimate circumstances, that means to a mother who's not married to the sperm donor, uh, those children invariably do not become major assets of society, to put it bluntly. Uh, almost without exception, the young males engaging in violence in American society today uh, were not raised with fathers, almost invariably. So just, you know, look at the disruption to society that violent crime causes, economic disruption, uh, social fear, everything, shattering of cities, all of that would be dramatically reduced if marriages were functional, healthy, and prevalent. But they're not right now. And so uh, the court makes a, a valid case, in my opinion, on that matter. And um, uh, one of the distinctions between a civilization and a non-civilization is when people are just seeing each day going by as another day. Um, in a very animalistic kind of a way, I see no evidence that cows or cats or camels or kangaroos live for tomorrow. I see absolutely no evidence whatsoever that cats or cows or camels or kangaroos or, or squirrels or wallabies think to themselves, how can I make tomorrow better than today? There's no evidence of that at all. Unfortunately, there's also no evidence that large swaths of our population do either. They just, you know, go through each day. Uh, it might involve some crime. It might involve some receiving a welfare check. But, you know, day to day, you just, it's an animalistic way of living. A civilized way of living is where you're building for tomorrow where you're trying to make tomorrow and the day after better than today and tomorrow. And so it invariably involves some present sacrifice, some delayed gratification. It involves accumulation of capital. It involves working harder than you need in order to just survive today. Put away something in saving. All of that is essential to civilization. Interestingly enough, uh, marriage brings that, in other words, the pregnancy, the whole idea of going through nine months of pregnancy drives home that very idea of deferring things right now because of something that's going to happen down the road, being able to take care. Even, you know, little expressions like, uh, you know, put something away for a rainy day. These are all parts of a civilized way of living, and they, they go together with marriage in a, in a very close and uh, an affiliated kind of a way. So um, uh, over here, the one other aspect I wanted to talk about in the, in the alienation of affection and criminal conversation, um, 
Remember, we've got Dr. Derek Williams, um, 45 years old, probably making in excess of a half a million dollars a year, probably well over that, actually. Uh, pediatric cardiologist, he's 45, so he's been at it already for over 10 years. Yeah, probably making well over that. Uh, and then you've got Mark and Amber, uh, who are a middle-class couple. He's a, uh, he's a leather worker. Okay, fine. Folks, I have to explain something to you that uh, might be one of the most important things I'm telling you in today's show. Financial disparity is a very critical part of a romantic relationship between a man and a woman. And there is an entire scale. And so let's start off with the woman at one end of the scale, at the far left end of the scale. We've got a case of uh, the woman having vastly more money than the man. And then we move along the scale to the midpoint where they both have the same amount. This would be a man and a woman who both have a very same kind of job, make the same kind of money, same kind of education. Uh, and then we move to the right end of the scale, and over there, we've got the man having a whole lot more money than the woman. Okay? Where about on that scale do you have, in general, by the way, you know, I know, I know there are exceptions, and, uh, and, I, and I appreciate the times many of you write in to say, well, I understand what you're saying, but in my case, it was an exception, and, and I'm always very, very interested in those stories. I really am. But none of them diminish the truth of the generality that when the financial disparity favors the woman, when the woman has a whole lot more money than the guy, the odds of a successful and happy romantic relationship are nil, close to zero. Go all the way to the other end where the, the man has a whole lot more financial resources than the woman, and you've got the grounds. It's not exclusive, not the only thing. This isn't all on its own grounds for a happy romantic relationship, but it is a part of it. It's a very important part of it. And, um, and this, is, this is a tough one for many people to relate to. And, uh, and I, I, you know, there's a limit to how much time I can spend on it in any given show. And obviously, it is going to be one of the reasons I think or hope that people are going to want to buy my new book as I explain these things. But in general, suffice it to say that um, if, uh, if any of you remember flying on domestic airlines in the United States in the 70s, which is when I uh, immigrated to the United States, or to be perfectly honest, became an illegal um, alien here for a little while. Uh, yep, I just overstayed my, uh, my visa. I did. But all is straightened out by now. All is straight. But um, back then, as a young guy, very young guy, um, I traveled the country. I was lecturing around the country, and uh, I traveled. And I must tell you, uh, it was, you know, if I can be a little frivolous and, uh, and uh, red-blooded here, it was an absolute pleasure to get on an airplane in the 70s because, you remember, they weren't flight attendants. They were, that's right, stewardesses. And they were all young and beautiful. And if you were fortunate enough to be traveling in first class, well, 
It was amazing. I must tell you, this is, this is, and, and I remember this. I remember this clearly. They were stewardesses, and they were almost without exception beautiful. Uh, it was almost like, you know, you traveled across the country, as I did many, many, many times between uh, the East Coast and the West Coast. It's like for five hours, I don't want to blink. That's how beautiful they were. And I remember looking into this, and, and you too can do the same if you doubt my words. And you're right, be, be skeptical about anything I say, by all means. But uh, researcher, check it out. You will discover that back in the day, and I'm saying the 70s were probably already coming to the end of it. Uh, you actually have to look at air travel in the 50s and 60s to really see this phenomenon. And that is that when stewardesses got married, they usually uh, stopped working. They, the airlines liked the stewardesses to be single. Number two, what's very interesting is that uh, stewardesses looked for that work, became stewardesses very often in order to find a husband, to meet a husband. And the goal was to reach a level of seniority that you could work the first-class cabin. This was like the most desirable thing, to work the first-class cabin. You know why? Because there were millions of, I don't know, an exaggeration, I don't know the number, but it was very, very prevalent for um successful and wealthy men traveling in first class to date the stewardess on their flight, exchange phone numbers or whatever it was, and then later marry her. And uh, to this day, if you read stories, you know, sometimes in the, in the, in the newspapers and elsewhere, people will talk about uh, their parents, you know, and, and I find this over and over and over again. You know, uh, my dad worked for Shell Oil. My mom was a stewardess. Um, you know, uh, my dad worked for Xerox. My mom was a flight attendant. And you know the story. That's how it was. This was very common, very typical, happened all the time. Now, uh, may I ask you a simple question? How often do you think it happened then? And there weren't many male flight attendants then. But when they started introducing male flight attendants and assuming that uh, they were not homosexual, how often do you think it happened that a successful female executive in Silicon Valley ended up dating the male flight attendant who brought her her drinks in her first-class airline seat? I think I can hear a loud chorus of laughter because you know that never happened. In exactly the same way that you have no trouble recognizing the story of Cinderella as a reality, right? The prince marries this beautiful, gracious, good char girl, and she becomes a queen. But how about Cinderella? Well, that was a silly comedy. How about uh, a story about the princess and the peasant? And I've spoken about this in the past. How likely is it? that the princess falls in love with a peasant and marries him? No. That doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. Uh, you know, Prince Charles marries a girl who works as a preschool teacher, and she becomes Princess Diana. But uh, years earlier, Queen Elizabeth's youngest sister, Princess Margaret, who's no longer alive, 
she had a um, a red hot passionate love affair with a married air force officer called uh, peter townsend i think that was his name and uh, at the end of the day uh, when he he divorced his wife and he was looking forward to marrying princess margaret she didn't marry him right it doesn't work that way <laughs> it's really important to, uh, to understand um i've often i've often said that the rules that many companies now have against romantic relationships at the office while i totally understand the problem uh, in many ways i feel it's unfair to women because it was very common for men to marry their uh, secretaries right you have a terrific girl and you know she's she's not a hard driving executive she's a typist you remember when they used to have typists she's a secretary she's a stenographer she's an assistant and um the environment is so conducive to romance because she is serving him she's bringing him his coffee he she's solving his problems he um and they used to joke about it you know that he for for married business executives they used to say he has a wife at home and he has a work wife and you know the hope was that there was nothing in improper going on but here was a woman who who just took care of all his needs all he had to do was punch the intercom and 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 tell her his problem and even if it involved private issues you know in many many companies uh, men were were allowed and secretaries and assistants were empowered to assist their bosses with anything at all whether it's in their private lives or business lives just in order to make them more effective well let me tell you something it's hard not to fall in love with a good-looking woman who who makes your life so much easier makes a pleasure it is perfectly natural and perfectly normal to fall in love with such a woman and what happens? Let me tell you that coming right back in just a moment. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show and the website is rabbidaniellappin.com. The resource I direct your attention, just go and read about it. It's called uh, Let Me Go. Actually, if you look at the picture of the cover of the audio program, it's Let My People Go. It's the famous sentence that Moses spoke to Pharaoh in Egypt. And... Uh, and um, we cross out my people we say me in other words the the blueprint for redemption in the book of exodus is filled with permanent principles that enable you and me and your son and my daughter and my sister to get out of the circumstances that are confining and restricting their progress and their destinies uh, what are those I lay those out in Let Me Go. Go to RabbiDanielLappin.com, read about it, and I think you will see that for a very small investment, uh, you can bring real help to anybody uh, feeling that they're somehow hitting a brick wall and they're just not getting where they need to get, whether it's in getting over uh, addictions, uh, pornography, chemicals, drugs, alcohol, uh, financial problems, marital problems. People have problems. We all do. Uh, but there are ways to get past them and seek redemption. This program is called Let Me Go, and you'll read about it and order it, if you like, at rabbidaniellappin.com. Uh, do that, and I'll be right back with the rest of the Your show. rabbi, that's me, your rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, reminding you that the more that things change, the more we need to depend 
upon those things that never change. And the relationship between money and romance never changes. It is sheer folly to forget that point. And um, I've spoken about this in the past, but uh, I can't tell you how many instances I'm aware of that have come across my radar screen because I, I'm blessed to be able to talk with many, many, many people. Uh, and people tell me, you know, they, they listen to the show, they, they hear what I'm interested in, and I, I'm told the story, but I know so many real-life stories um, of uh, couples who get married, they both have a career, and then they decide for, for economic reasons to either temporarily or permanently sacrifice the man's career in favor of the woman's. She can earn more, so he'll stay home, he'll look after the, the young kids, he'll do this and that. Uh, folks, the likelihood of that kind of marriage working is close to zero for a lot of reasons. But when the financial disparity favors the woman heavily, when she has the money or is making the money, and he on his own has very little, don't bet on the longevity of that marriage. Uh, when it's equal, even that is not so simple. But for the best kind of marriage, the financial disparity has to favor the man. I understand all the dangers, by the way. You know, I, I have six daughters. Susan and I are blessed with six beautiful daughters. Don't think that we were not torn on this issue because the frightfully difficult decision you have to face in, <clears throat> in advising your daughters is do you try and encourage your daughter to prepare for a high-earning career so no matter what happens to her in life, she'll always be able to take care of herself, knowing full well that in so doing, you are diminishing the pool, dramatically diminishing the pool of men to whom she could be happily married. See what I'm saying? Uh, it's, it's a tough, tough, tough decision. And uh, I'm not going to talk about uh, how our family uh, did this and is doing this over the years, because I feel that uh, to do that would be to intrude on the privacy of my children, so I can't do that. But, uh, but it's something that you have to think about. You really got to weigh up and understand these are real realities. And so, uh, yeah, women used to, women used to very frequently marry executives at companies they worked at. And one of the things that the 60s did was to um, popularize college to the point where huge numbers of people started going to college. And what that led to was a weird distortion that impacted the minds of young men, believing that they were somehow diminishing their status by marrying women who themselves were not university graduates. And so all of a sudden you had this rise of what I call the disease of credentialism, which is that people are measured and evaluated on the basis of the academic degrees that they have earned rather than on the real qualities. And, um, and I can only assure you that I speak to young men uh, very often. I'm, I'm brought into churches and synagogues and to various other organizations. 
uh, to give lectures on uh, romance, money, marriage, uh, and I usually try and do them to segregated audiences because it's much more effective when I speak to men, male groups only and to women groups only rather than when I speak to them together. When I speak to them together, they're much more entertaining, by the way. They're much funnier. But when I speak to them separately, there's much more value to be gained. And uh, one of the things that I do explain to, to guys all the time is learn to judge the quality of a woman. Don't be blinded by her sexiness. I mean, by all means, you want to seek a woman that sets your blood racing. You absolutely want to marry a woman that, that won't let you blink. You just want to look at her all the time. You want to, um, you, you want to marry a woman who, who just arouses you and excites you. Of course, absolutely. No question about it. But you've got to make sure that she is a good woman. Um, is she a sweet, kind, generous kind of a woman? If she is, I don't care if she's never seen the inside of university. I don't care if she didn't finish high school. I really don't. If she has native intelligence, she's a smart girl, but she has no credentials, no high school diploma, no college degree, and she's a good girl and she's a beautiful girl, I'd say to any male, my son included, my nephews included, grab her, grab her. Don't wait. Absolutely. Very, very important uh, to be able to, to recognize these distinctions. Another example of where these things uh, are obvious and apparent very, very much so is that um, uh, you very often find a husband interesting his wife in his career, in his area, and to the point where she joins in and becomes part of it. So um, I'll give you an example. You have uh, Will, Will Durant was a 27-year-old teacher in the early 1900s, taught in a, in a high school in New York, taught history, taught a lot of things, obviously a very bright, capable guy. And in fact, uh, he, well, I'll, I'll tell you in a moment. Um, <clears throat> uh, he, if you don't mind, ends up marrying, right? This is not a case of a teacher-student uh, sexual predatory practice. No, he didn't have sex with her. Uh, they developed a very chaste romance. Her mother uh, was aware of it and approved of it, but this 27-year-old teacher started dating his 14-year-old female student, and um, when she was 15, they got married. That's right. This isn't that long ago. This is 19, approximately 1920, I think. And uh, and they lived in New York City, and he intrigued her in his field, and he she became interested in history, and he taught her history. Well, after a little while, she became his collaborator and his assistant. She did his research for him, and then um, she began co-writing with him and co-lecturing with him to the point where the greatest, I mean, they, have, they had a child and they had grandchildren, but one of the greatest results of that marriage was a multi-volume book, which I love, called The Story of Civilization by Will and Ariel Durant, D-U-R-A-N-T. And she is credited fully as an author. And it's, it's lovely and beautiful. And I often think, and this is something Susan and I have spoken about a lot lately, that uh, had she not ever met Will Durant, 
she'd never have become an author in the area of history. She, she probably would have become something else, or who knows what would have happened. But it was precisely marrying a guy that she threw herself into his field. Um, I don't know if you remember a book called Cheaper by the Dozen. It was a wonderful book. Really, by the way, if your family hasn't read it, you should get it. It's a nice book to read to your family if your kids are sort of, you know, 10 years old and up. Um, and they've they've made several movies of it, Cheaper by the Dozen. The, the movies I would waste no time on. I'd just go to the book. Anyway, it's about uh, Frank and uh, Lillian Galbraith. He was one of the pioneers of the time and study, motion study, movement, um, industrial, speeding up industrial processes and so on. And she became fascinated and absorbed by that area as well, to such an extent that when he passed away prematurely, she took over the business and uh, be, you know, continued teaching time and motion study around the United States. Uh, I know many, many such cases where a wife joins a husband and then becomes part of his world and becomes competent in her own right in that world. And you know what? I'm not going to mention Bill and Hillary Clinton, or I'm not going to bring in the political arena because it, it it it's true, but it tarnishes the whole topic. Um, but I I know many many cases like this. I know of no cases. I'm not saying there are no cases, but I'm saying I know of no cases where a guy marries a woman who's an expert in her field, and then he buys into that field. And I'm I'm so sorry. I, it's happened again. My apologies. As I said earlier, um, on today's recording, unfortunately, I'm just not able to control that. And I'm, I'm grateful it's only happened twice, but I do apologize. Um, I know you deserve a more professional production, and I'm sorry. But um, um, marriages uh, between movie stars seldom work. When do they work? When the wife subsumes her career in the interest of her husband. You know, people speak about the long duration marriage. I think they were married 50 years, right? Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Um, now, I mean, you know, before that time, uh, uh, Paul Newman had been married. There was a divorce, whatever. But um, this marriage lasted for a long time. You know why? No, not not exclusively. There are a lot of reasons. But part of it was that Joanne Woodward, who, had, who was a movie star in her own right, they met while they were both acting. Uh, she basically subsumed her career. After they got married, you didn't see an awful lot of Joanne Woodward on the stage or in the movies. Basically, she allowed him to shine. And uh, folks, when I speak about the more that things change, the more we need to depend on those things that never change, it's kind of the stuff I'm talking about. Um, when a wife is in the public limelight and seeking public recognition and adulation as much as the husband, whether it's in business or the professions or movies or wherever it is, uh, it's a tough situation. When in the eyes of, the, of, of public measures of success, namely earning, the wife out-earns the husband, um, I, I don't mean to make light of situations that invariably become very painful, but I would not bet on the longevity of that marriage. That's that's really kind of how it is. So um, this then is um, as far as we can go. And uh, and we understand that in the lawsuit story I started off today's show telling you about, I totally understand what happened. Uh, when, when Mark's wife, Amber, 
and she'd been perfectly happy being the wife of a leather worker and the mother of a little three-year-old boy. And now she goes to work for a man who is you know, probably quite uh, charismatic. He's 45 years old, distinguished looking, making a shipload of money, and um, she, her job is to serve him. That creates tremendously romantic environments. Not only on the part of, in other words, not just the man, even though he was married, but not only is he feeling romantic towards this good-looking young wife who is taking care of his needs as a doctor and she is a nurse, but she, she feels that way. She, again, it is in the nature of women to feel warm towards men whom they, to whose lives they add. I don't, I don't know of a better way to, to say it uh, in, in just a few moments I have left to devote to this topic. Uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end, and as far as we can go, for today's show. Please do visit the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Buy something there, because if it is of value to you, it is of value to me. And uh, also communicate with us. Take a look at the, all the free stuff on the website at rabbidaniellappin.com. Be in touch. Love hearing from you. Thanks so much for being part of the show. Thanks for spreading the word on the show, which many of you are doing so very effectively. I deeply appreciate that. And until next week, I wish you a week of good health and prosperity. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.